you're listening to the Redditch Standard Podcast because you have impeccable taste. Hello and welcome to the Redditch Standard Podcast. My name is Claire Bullivant and we've got a special podcast episode for you this week. Redditch Standard reporter Harry Leach and I were lucky enough to attend the recent hustings which took place in Redditch on Tuesday evening with all four political parties in Redditch represented. It all took place at Redditch Baptist Church and on the panel we had Rachel McLean for the Conservatives, Labour's Rebecca Jenkins, Liberal Democrat Dr Bruce Horton and the Green Party's Claire Davies. The event was chaired by Baptist Minister Pastor Andrew Diper and the questions were submitted by people in the constituency and who were in the audience prior to the event. The hustings started with Pastor Andrew welcoming everyone, asking the candidates for a brief introduction on themselves and their main party message and for their favourite chocolate bar. We'll cross over now to the hustings so you can hear the full thing with the four candidates' views on the NHS, Brexit, the environment, abortion and various other national and local issues. First candidate on the mic is Claire Davies for the Green Party. Is, is the climate crisis. Um, you know, whether we're feeling it right here in Medici at the moment or not, um, it's, it has massive implications and um, we're running out of time to, to sort it out. So, um, you know, whether we... Whether, whether, whether people put it as the most important thing or not, it is the... this this outweighs everything else, you know. We can sort out all the little bits, but the climate crisis is not going to go away and we have to, you know, meet the challenge and we have to respond as the science dictates. And what was your favourite chocolate bar? I asked you this earlier, do you have a mic check? Um, I still can't remember the name of it, but it's got the popping candy in it. Lovely. (laughs) Right, so anything with the popping candy in for Claire. Um, Bruce, would you like to answer the same question, please? I'll start with the easy one, dairy milk, plain and simple. The slightly more tricky one, uh, I'm going to say Brexit, because I think that, however, whatever your political persuasion, that is the lens through which this election is being fought and... Uh, impacts on every issue that I'm sure we will talk about tonight, including the climate crisis. Um, I think I've watched over the last three and a half years as, um, like many people in this country, um, how the Conservative government essentially has turned um, the vote following the referendum into, frankly, a bit of a national embarrassment. And that makes me quite sad. Um, I joined the Liberal Democrats immediately after the referendum. And um, that has shaped, um, I think, the way that many of us feel the direction of the country is going. So, um, and at the same time, you know, we've seen uh, huge challenges facing the country that I'm sure we'll come back to, come back to this evening, poverty, uh, the rise of food banks, homelessness, inequality, uh, NHS education, all of those things. Um, but I think, uh, and certainly the climate crisis too, but I think it's the lens of Brexit where we need to uh, focus on, uh, and that's what are we talking mostly about. Thank you, Bruce. Rebecca, same question to you. Hello, I'm Rebecca Jenkins, and I'm your Labour candidate here in Redditch. 
Um, I'm originally from Redditch, moved here in 1991 and lived here for almost 30 years, currently living over the border in Studley whilst I'm campaigning. I'm a history and an RE teacher, so obviously education is massively important to me and having seen the cuts to schools over the last decade, that's had a huge impact on resources, it's had a huge impact on retention of staff, recruitment of staff, the ability for schools to be able to afford um, experienced teachers, and this has had a huge impact, and I worry for the future of the young people that I teach. That, in addition, is the NHS. Most of my family work in the NHS, my uncle's a GP for 45 years, and I can't believe that we're on the brink of completely losing our NHS and you know, it's being sold off to Trump. So that is my first and foremost. Regardless of who you are, what your background is, how much you earn, we all need our hospitals and we all need our doctors and we all need a place to go to stay healthy. So education, NHS, but also austerity. Ideological austerity has cost the lives of 130,000 people in this country. It's an absolute disgrace. <laughs> You don't like chocolate? Oh, no. I like cheese. You like cheese? Yeah. Right, okay, so you, you, can, you can buy cheese as a, as a present if you are successful. And finally, Rachel, um, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Thank you very much, and thank you so much for inviting us all to the Hustings. My name is Rachel McLean, and it has been a privilege for me to be your local MP for the last two and a half years before the election was called. So we didn't want to have this election. I don't really think that anybody did, but we had to because the whole country is sick and tired of this Brexit nightmare that we've all been going through. Parliament is gridlocked. The country can't move on. The country voted to leave the European Union, and this constituency voted to leave the European Union by 62% three years ago, and yet we still haven't left. So when I go around knocking on doors all over the constituency, talking to thousands and thousands of people, what they're telling me is we need to get Brexit done. So we have to get Brexit done so that we can focus on all the other things that are important to people in Redditch and up and down the country. And that means the NHS, that means police, that means schools, and that means our climate. But the truth is, I'm the only candidate sitting on this platform, but standing in this election, that can actually break this impasse and allow us to move on. A vote for any other candidate would mean more delay, more referendums, potentially another referendum on Scotland, and more years of inaction. So I want to be elected so I can continue to fight for the Alex and all those other important priorities that I have been focused on during my two and a half years that it's been my privilege to be your local representative. Thank you, Rachel, and your favourite chocolate. Thank you, Jack. And your favourite chocolate bar, Rachel? Well, my, my favourite chocolate bar is a peppermint aero, which is green inside. Wow. So there you go. Um, and I can tell from the applauses that um, those with a right-leaning persuasion have healthily sat on the right. There we go. And those with a left-leaning have sat on the left. That's very helpful for us tonight. Thank you for your consideration. Um, so our first question is going to come tonight from Alan Hastings. Um, is Alan here? 
Would you like to please stand and um, the microphone will come to you. Um, this is your question about the Brexit deal, okay. please, not the other one. How does it make any economic sense to leave the European Union and pay £39 billion or more when the annual net contribution to the EU is currently £7.8 billion per year? It's like paying for five years of membership without having the benefits. What sort of deal is that? Why don't British people have the right to have the deal put before them so that people can decide? Since it wasn't known at the time of the referendum what this deal was. Ireland in the European Union. And we are told that it's a great deal for them. So then, why is it a bad deal for us to be in the European Union? Thank you very much, Alan. Um, so your question um, was about the Brexit deal. Just one clarification. The net contribution um, of the UK to the EU in 2018 was £9 billion. Um, That might be the average, but the latest one was £9 billion, um, according to the Office of National Statistics, but that is still obviously less than £39 billion. Um, So we're going to go to Bruce. Would you like to respond to this one first? Thank you very much. Yeah, um, I do agree with you. Um, the, you will hear a lot tonight, and I think one of the main things is that um, Brexit is, has become a real mess, and that has been completely avoidable. Um, the, what, the, the biggest lie, I think, that's being perp- perpetrated at the moment is that installing a Tory majority will get Brexit done. It will not. It will barely get Brexit started. Um, I think any form of Brexit is going to make us worse off. Uh, Institute of Fiscal Studies... Um, reckon that it's going to cost uh, the UK around 70 billion over the next five years. That's about a thousand, over a thousand pound for every single person in this country. It's going to hurt our NHS. It's going to damage investment and productivity, which it's already doing. It's going to be less money available for public services and local government. Um, and we just can't afford it at the moment, right? We're just coming out of austerity. I think we need to start investing in our health and, and public services and education. Um, just some of the lies that were told to us about Brexit. Uh, we would get exact same benefits as EU membership. New de- trade deals would be ready to go from day one. £350 million extra uh, per week for the NHS. Uh, jobs and wages would increase. Uh, no payments for access to the single market. And fully protect the integrity of the UK. As you rightly say, that's not going to happen. Uh, and Boris Johnson himself said before the referendum that leaving the EU did not mean leaving the single market. So I think we need to reassess, uh, take stock of the deal that we've got. Personally, I think it's a terrible deal. It's not a patch on the deal that we've got at the moment. And I think we need to, uh, now that we've got more of the facts, we need to put it back to the people and say, is this what you wanted? Is this what you voted for? And put that to a public vote. Rebecca, would you like to weigh in on this one? Yeah, I'm glad that we're getting the um, the elephant in the room out of the way first. But Brexit, um, such a divisive issue. And as a history teacher, I can honestly say I don't think this country's been as divided as this since the English Civil War. 
and it's heartbreaking. I'm seeing friends you know, against each other, families against each other. And at the end of the day, regardless of what you voted for, the impact of Brexit will affect absolutely everybody in this country and for generations, more than one generation. So for me, I personally, I voted Remain. That's a well-known fact because I believe the deal that we've got at the moment is the best for us. However, there was a referendum. I do believe in democracy. Anne Redditch did vote to leave by 62%. However, I don't believe that we should leave at any cost. I don't think we should leave at the cost of our NHS, at the cost of jobs, at the cost of the environment, at the cost of national security, at the cost of Northern Ireland, at the cost of you know, Trump getting his hands on our NHS and things like that. It's sorry, but it's not... It's not rubbish at all, but there we go. But Brexit, at the end of the day, we, as a party, have, in tandem, been working with the EU, and we do have the makings of a deal with them, one that has a new customs union, one that protects environment, one that protects jobs, and one that protects the NHS. Now, within three months of us, if we did win the general election, within three months, we would put we would have that deal and put that to the people. And in six months, the people will decide between that or remain. So it's a much better deal, a sensible, credible deal or remain. Under those circumstances, it's not right for me to try and influence people on what they should or shouldn't believe or should and shouldn't vote for. So me personally, having voted remain, but Redditch voted to leave, I would stay neutral and let the people make that decision for themselves. At the end of the day, there are a lot of people that voted leave who don't want to leave with no deal. There are Thank a lot you. of people that voted leave on the doorstep that want a decent deal, my parents included. Thank We've you, had... Rebecca. Sorry. <laughs> We're going to try and keep timing. Thank you. There will, there will be more chance to say more on this, don't worry. Um, but in order to make that possible, we do have to keep the timings. Um, Rachel, would you like to give a response from, obviously, our, our MP over the last couple of years? And you've been, perhaps more than any of us, involved in these discussions. Um, so would you like to respond to this question? The question being um, about whether, why it's a good deal for us to leave and pay 39 billion when our net contribution is currently 7.8 to 9 billion, depending on how you work it out. Yes, um, thank you for your question. I think this is a key issue in the election. And as I said before, with any other candidate, you are going to get more delay and more dither. And unfortunately, the Labour Party won't say how they'll campaign on the most important issue facing the nation. And I think that is a lack of leadership. So for me, we had a referendum. The, the, this area voted to leave, the country voted to leave. We have to honour democracy. It's a precious thing. If we go round saying, I'm sorry, you didn't know what you voted for, we have to have another vote, that extends the division that the other candidates have rightly mentioned. I do not see how having a second referendum, having disregarded the result of the first one, how that heals the division. So what we are going to do, if Conservatives win the election, we have a deal, it's a good deal, it's been negotiated already with the European Union, we will, if we win that election, we will get that through Parliament because every single Conservative candidate has pledged to back that, including myself, and we will be out of the European Union within a month with a deal. And so I think that actually... Actually... Thank you. I think I've got 
40 seconds left. Yeah. Actually, outside of this room, when I go and speak to voters on the doorstep, they tell me we knew what we were voting for. We sent a pamphlet to every household in this country saying this is a once-in-a-generation vote. We will deliver on what you decide. And I think politicians have to honour their promises because the basis of the lack of trust in politics at the moment is a failure of politicians from all parties, including my own, to honour the referendum result. And I promised I would honour that result when I was elected, and I have done that, and I will do that again if you put me back in Parliament. Thank you, Rachel. Claire, could I ask you how you would represent the constituents of Redditch if you were elected on this issue? Well, yeah, Brexit. I don't think that this election is going to solve it. Um, I think this is the wrong thing to be holding a general election for um, because it muddies so, you know, there's so many massive issues at play. You know, if you want to solve the Brexit problem, you need to have a second referendum. Ask a simple question, you get a simple answer. Um, pardon? And, but now we have more information, yeah? How, how, how can giving people an informed choice be undemocratic? That is the... The government, the parliament, parliament couldn't sort it out. Yeah. So go back to the people. Ask them what they want to do with the give them more information. That just sounds like the grown-up thing to do to me, rather than being um, just like a bull in a china shop. You know. <laughs> and and as for getting Brexit done, it, Brexit is going to take years. If we get a deal, it. It, it, it will. It, it, this is just the withdrawal deal. There's trade deals to be done. It will go on for years and years and years, and we will still not get to the bottom of sorting out education, NHS, the climate. You know, it was a bad question. I honestly believe that Brexit was a game that the Conservatives played to try and heal the divisions in their own party. asked by the general populace. It, this is a problem that the Conservatives have created and a, a, a second referendum will sort. Thank you, Claire. Obviously, this is a very emotive um, topic and there's a lot, of, um, a lot of emotions running high. On that subject, Helen Gallagher um, asked a question about trust. And so I'm going to ask Helen if you would ask your question now, please. In the last three years, trust in our political leaders has been seriously eroded. So how will you and your party seek healing and reconciliation at Westminster, in the nation, and in the union of the UK? Thank you, Helen. I'm going to go to Rachel, if I may, please, to respond to this one first. Yes, I think um, trust is a really important issue. And 
as I've alluded to before, I think the main reason why trust has been eroded is because politicians have not kept their promises following the largest exercise of democracy in this country that we've ever seen. We had a referendum and 17.4 million people voted to leave. And, and I think what's happened, because we failed to honour that, um, despite many people, many good people, honourably voting with that national result in Parliament, there were some MPs who, who didn't accept that and have actually tried to stop it and block it through various methods and in cahoots with the Speaker of the House of Commons. It's meant that we haven't been able to move on and address a lot of the issues, the bread and butter issues that are really important to people's lives, which are coming up in this election. And I think, for me personally, as I just said in the last question, actually, I voted Remain also, but for me, it was really important to honour democracy. There was a democratic exercise. I stood at a manifesto to, to actually deliver Brexit, as did, in fact, I think the Labour Party did, and the Liberal Democrats in 2017. Um, but they, they failed to follow through on their promises. Our party was divided as well. We all know that. And we couldn't get it through. And I think that is at the root of the problem with trust. So I have pledged, and I kept my promise to respect that result in Parliament. I voted for Brexit. If all the other MPs had voted as I did, we would be out by now, and we would be well into those negotiations for trade and dealing with all those other things, and we wouldn't be having this election. And I think it's a terrible shame that those MPs didn't do that. So I will, if, I, if I'm fortunate enough to be re-elected, I will back the deal that the Prime Minister has negotiated, which will enable us to leave the EU and continue trading with our friends and partners and deal with the other issues. Bruce, can we get your view on this, please? Think about what makes people trust people. The kind of... Th characteristics that you need to display, I think, are kind of honesty, integrity, decency. And when I look at some of the politicians that we've got leading this country today, those are kind of the exact opposite. <laughs> uh, so I think that, you know, we need to kind of um, bring people back into politics with conviction who want to improve... Um, the lives of their constituents and the people they represent, um, rather than, I think we've got too many politicians at the moment who are in it for themselves. Um, I think the other thing that I would say is around, you know, the country has become polarised, uh, and that's, I think many of us, or most of us, find that quite upsetting and distressing. <coughs> if, uh, but the vote was so close, right? I mean, if, isn't it obvious that if a vote is that close, you would try and find areas of consensus and agreement, right? If Remain had won by 52% to 48%, i am pretty sure, and I would like to think, and I, this is what you know, I would have certainly argued at the time, is that we would listen to the 48% and we would take the lessons of that, okay? Um, you, you didn't win the referendum, but we do want to... Thank you, thank you. We've heard the question for now, thank you. And that would, you've sent us a strong message and we need to reform the way the EU operates. So let's work out what needs to change and how we can change that. I think the issue and the main reason, contrary to what Rachel said, why people have lost trust, is that we had a very close referendum result. No account was taken of the 48%. And 
no account was even taken of those people that uh, really wanted a kind of softer Brexit, um, and which we've moved to a hard Brexit, hard right, and that I think has gone, has taken us in completely the wrong Thank direction. You. Claire, would you like to um, respond? The question is about trusting our political leaders, um, particularly in Westminster, in the nation, and in the union. Well, I think Caroline Lucas has given a fantastic example of how to try and start to heal the divisions. She's been doing a tour around the country of visiting those areas that voted, voted Leave strongly um, and looking at the issues that they are facing. And many of those issues haven't stemmed from the EU. They have stemmed from their voices not being heard. They've stemmed from austerity, from a lack of investment in those areas. And I think to bring the country back together, that's the kind of thing we need to be doing. Not um, forget all the ideologies, you know. We've got to look at the needs of people and see how we can address those. Um, and yeah, I have great, uh, yeah, uh, Caroline Lucas is, is Green Party, but you know, people across the board say that she is the kind of person that does look towards consensus politics, works across the board with people, and that I think we need more Caroline Lucases, you know, yeah, not just in the Green Party, but everywhere, you know. Let's be a little bit grown up about it. Stop all this tribalism and start being an example to the populace. You know, let's show them how to make decisions rather than polarising everything. You know, yeah, I think that's the way forward. Rebecca, how would you seek to, to heal some of these divides? Well, I think I've already touched on um, part of that, which is if Labour were to win the general election, then we would remain neutral in uh, the Brexit system going forward. So our, our credible deal or remain. And as some of the other candidates have mentioned, there are people that voted Leave that actually wanted a softer Brexit, and there are people that voted Remain that would be quite happy with Labour's proposals to leave, me, myself included. And I think it is high time that we grew up as a country, actually, we've got to find a sensible compromise somewhere in the middle, otherwise this is going to go round and round in circles for years and years and years. And what is more, as a teacher, and as a teacher of young adults, I teach sixth form, there are people that are now in their 20s who didn't get the opportunity to vote in this referendum. And sorry, but times have changed. And it's one thing to say, well, we had a vote. Well, do you know what? We had a general election in 2017. Let's never have an election ever again. I'm sorry, what, what is undemocratic about more democracy now that we have more information? So that's one aspect. The other thing is, is that most of this nation feels left behind. Everything's London-centric. You go up north, there's all the industrial wasteland, all the closed-down factories, people living in poverty. I mean, a third of children live in poverty in Redditch. It's absolutely disgraceful. What are we doing about that? Well, I'll tell you what we're doing about that. Fully costed policies in this manifesto. Every single one is fully costed. And we want a national investment bank and we 
regional investment banks and we want to give power to the regions because at the end of the day they make up this nation they are slogging their guts out up and down this country making Britain the great country that it is and they deserve to be heard and they deserve to be treated better so that's one thing and I'm about to run out of time I'll speak later I'd like to thank all of the candidates for being much better with their time than the national leaders were on the televised debates. We've got a clock here, and when it runs down, they all, they all draw to a close, which is fantastic. Um, I'm not sure what Rachel would really think to then over being a general election and being stuck in Westminster for the rest of her life. She may be for that or not quite so keen on that, I'm not sure. Um, there's, there's time for one brief... Um, one further brief question on this. It's not really um, a brief question, but the responses are going to be brief. You're only going to be given one minute um, for this question. Is David White, Davia White, Davina White, um, forgive me if I can't read handwriting. Davina White, I'm, forgive me, sorry. Davina White, do you have a question um, about the, the effects on the constituency of Brexit? Um, what will the short-term negative effects on this constituency be? A, when the UK leaves the EU on January the 31st next year. And B, if the UK has not negotiated a trade deal with the EU by the end of the transition period, i.e. December 2020. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to ask... Claire, if you would be able to respond to this one first about how you see the future for this constituency. Uh, my husband um, was working with JLR for in the last few years, and the, the, the uncertainty that um, is going around JLR because of Brexit has meant a, a massive, uh, created a massive problem for them. And I'm sure that is the case across the board in many um, industries that are, have markets outside of the UK. Um, so I think short term, yes, there's lots of, um, you know, lots of, lots of products that come in just in time and that would be um, have, have an effect. And also, in the long term, when you're trying to, when you're trying to trade across borders, you need, you. You need clarity. Thank you very much. <laughs> Rachel, um, just to remind you of the question about the, the effects on this constituency of Brexit and of um, trade deals in the future. Thank you. Well, thank you to Vina. I think we had this conversation when I knocked on your door a couple of Saturdays ago, actually. So you won't be surprised to hear me answering you in quite a similar way, um, in that actually we do have a deal. So people said that the Prime Minister wouldn't be able to get a new deal when he took over as, as Prime Minister, but he did within a very short period of time. We have a deal that's ready to go that will deal with all the issues around trade and all the issues around jobs. 
And my experience of, as being a local MP for the last couple of years and also speaking to many hundreds of businesses is that what businesses say to me is, look, honestly, we probably didn't want Brexit. But now that it's here, the most damaging thing is the continual uncertainty which politicians dragging out Brexit. If we can actually deliver Brexit, get it done within a month, which we will with the Conservatives, that is by far the best thing that we can do. Following that, we will have investment coming into our country and into Redditch. Our fantastic local businesses will be able to carry on doing what they do best, which is trading all over the world under the terms and conditions that we will negotiate for them to export and access Thank new you. markets outside the European Union. Thank you, Rachel. I think, I think, thank you. Um, I will ask for some clarification. Um, just, just to clarify that, um, as I understand it, the deal that Boris Johnson has negotiated is a withdrawal deal, and this question is asking about the trade deals to be negotiated by December 2020. Um, so, with that in mind, Rebecca, would you, how do you see the effects of this? on our constituency. So, so we leave by the end of January. So the plan at the moment, if, if Boris Johnson is re-elected, is that the UK will leave on the 31st of January, and what will the effects of that be, and then what will the effects be if the UK hasn't been able to negotiate sufficient trade deals by the end of the transition period, which is suggested as December 2020? Well, I think in the first instance, um, if we leave at the end of January, and that's a withdrawal, we haven't got any deals in place, that will have a massively detrimental effect on the people of this town. Redditch has some of the lowest pay in the region, a third of children live in poverty. We've already lost loads of our services from the Alexandra Hospital, and we are a big town and a growing town, and the average age in this town is 38, so it's a young town. Um, how are we going to take care of the people of Redditch when we leave at the end of January when we don't have trade deals in place? And we have to safeguard those things. So I don't understand how that can be possible. We have an implementation. And, um, and the other thing is in Redditch is that many of the jobs are insecure jobs. We have many, many zero-hours contract jobs people that rely on universal credit, and the Conservatives claim that you are employed if you work one hour a fortnight. So that's why the employment figures seem absolutely fantastic. Thank it's you, actually Rebecca. three people for one job. We... employment and some of those other issues a little bit later so um, please don't think that I'm not wanting you to say anything about that. Um, just to reiterate uh, that this question is about the withdrawal deal that will come into effect on the 31st of January and then the, the proposal from the Conservative Party is for a transition period, an implementation period of, what is it, 11 months until the end yes, of December. That's right. um, so, so they're the timeframes that we're talking about and about the impact if, if those things don't go as well as, as they might. Um, and Bruce, I don't think we've heard from you on this one. So just to be clear, at the moment we have over 60 major trade deals through the EU, uh, through our position in the, as an EU member with major economies around the world. If we leave, once we leave at the end of January, we won't have any of those. So we will fall back on WTO uh, tariffs and rules. And that will increase the, the cost 
of uh, many of uh, our goods and services, including food, significant increases, uh, uh, raw materials, and lots of other areas too. So I think we, there's no way, this is not the Lib Dem saying this, this is the recently departed uh, 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 EU commissioner that worked for, uh, for the Conservative government. There's no way we can get uh, that number of trade deals in place within nine months. Uh, it's just not going to happen. So there will be impacts on the economy. We already have nurses leaving 12,000. We already have academics leaving 11,000. We need to keep the trade deals we've got at the moment, frankly. Thank you very much. Um, just for an item of clarification, I'm going to go back to Rachel for a very short response about whether you, I mean, the question was posed by um, Davina that are there, do you foresee any negative impacts for this constituency as a result of the deadlines of the 31st of January and then the end of the implementation period in December 2020? So do you, do you think there will be any negative consequences? No, I think the consequences will be positive because we will have actually honoured the democratic mandate of this constituency, which I think is what most people want whether they voted leave or remain. But in terms of sort of specific issues around, we, we, some people have referred to a no deal. We're not having a no deal. I've never favoured a no deal. We obviously have to leave it on the table so that we get a deal, which we've done, but we now have a deal. And that will deal with a lot of the issues that some of the other Thank candidates you. have mentioned around the NHS and around trade. Thank you. And those are important. Well, you may well be pleased to hear that we're going to move on from this now. Um, we're going to move on to some other other issues. Um, I'm going to ask Margaret Bish. Thank you, Alan, for bringing a microphone to you to ask your question um, about public service cutbacks. This is more about um, the economy, actually, but it's joined together. Um, despite cutbacks in every public service, our national debt has risen from 800 billion in 2009, which was only 65% of the GDP, to 1.8 trillion in 2019. That's now 85% of the GDP. The interest on that is 48 billion pounds per year. That's about 1,000 pounds per taxpayer. Germany and Holland followed Gordon Brown's pattern after the bank crisis in 2009, and now have debt lower than 2009. So I'd like to know, how will you stop us following Greece into bankruptcy with similar problems of unemployment um, and loans and riots? And if we could get that £1,000 per taxpayer back, we could be spending that on services within our own communities. So how are you going to get that loan, that debt, back under control? Thank you very much. So if you didn't catch those statistics, essentially the national debt has risen by about 20% of GDP over the last decade. Um, I'm going to go to Rebecca first for a response to this. Right, so, well, um, people say that it was Labour's fault that we had a recession and that it was Labour's fault for the banking crisis, which uh, we know is not true, and the IMF have said as such as well. And, 
did Javid working for Deutsche Bank at the time, um, and if we hadn't bailed out the banks, how many people would have been bankrupt and left destitute? So it had to be done. But at the end of the day, in the last nine and a half years, our debts nearly trebled. The Conservatives say that they have cut the deficit, but that's like paying for your mortgage with a credit card. They've nearly trebled the debt. It's absolutely appalling. In spite of austerity, in spite of the 130,000 human beings that I mentioned earlier that have suffered because of austerity, ideological austerity, the poor being made to pay for the greed and selfishness of the super-rich. Now, the first thing... But the first thing I want to say is that the Conservatives have borrowed more in nine years than every single Labour government put together in history. <laughs> you, you can that. We're going to start a green industrial revolution which will create over a, over a million jobs. Renationalisation of our services will actually pay for itself in seven years and will actually end up in profit. And over 160 top world economists have ratified our manifesto and said what, how fantastic it is. over the age of 16. I'm sorry, if you're 17 years old, your clothes aren't cheaper, your food isn't cheaper. If you do a job, you get paid the same as everybody else. Claire, um, I've read the Green Party manifesto and I know that there's some interesting things in there on this as well. So would you like to respond to this question <laughs> about how you would... Um, try to prevent the UK from going bankrupt? Right, well, the, the wonderful thing about climate, that the climate crisis is that to deal with it, we need to think radically. And that's exactly what the Green Party have done. Um, and so we will be looking at a carbon tax, which we, we can then... So, so taxing fossil fuels and industries that rely on fossil fuels, that money then goes into creating the Green, the, the green New Deal, investing in clean energy, investing in, clean, in the transport system that we need, investing in uh, the skills that we need to create you know, this, this brave new world, if you will. Um, and Although it means that we have to invest more right now, it means that we, we, we create a more sustainable um, economy and we will actually be saving money in the long run because if we do not address the climate crisis, it is become, going to become so much more expensive. You know, the, the, the figures that we're talking about now will be nothing. You know, so... Yeah, the figures that are bandied about seem massive, but we have to think radically about this and be brave to, to think differently. So, yeah, we've got the carbon tax. We will be giving people a universal um, basic income so that everybody gets... Um, that everybody, no matter what their income, they get a basic income that will help to cover costs... Um, so that they can then 
do work in the community and they're rewarded. People who are carers get more than their caring. Um, Thank you. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Thank you very much. <laughs> Bruce, how will you stop us from going bankrupt? Single-handedly, obviously. So, um, I used to be a teacher of economics, right? And any A-level economics student in the country could tell you one very simple lesson. When the economy is flatlining, and interest rates are at historic lows, the one thing you don't do is go and hit everyone with a massive austerity package. It doesn't make any sense at all. So we should have been investing in our infrastructure and services for the last few years. Instead, we haven't been doing that. We've been cutting back, and the result of that is unsurprising. Right? We've got austerity and all the problems that, that Rebecca and the others have talked about. Um, GDP, GDP growth falling year on year. So it's not surprising that we're in the situation we're in. Um, I think um, at the same time as well, whilst people have been suffering as a result of that, taxes for the wealthiest have been falling, right? So it doesn't seem fair to most people the way the economy has been going for the last few years. I think the last thing that I need to say is that the IFS has actually said that neither the Tories or the Labour's uh, manifestos are terribly credible. And the main reason for that is because of the huge black hole in them. If we leave the EU without a good deal, in fact, without the same deal that we've got at the moment, there will be a huge hole in our public finances. And we won't have the money to invest in schools, education, health, and all the rest of it. So we need to stay, stick with the best deal that we've got at the moment, which is remaining in the EU. Thank you, Bruce. And finally on this question, Rachel. Thank you. Yes, Margot, your question was about um, fiscal rules and managing the, econ the economy. And I do believe that is the duty of the government, because as you say, if the economy is not well managed, it is the people that pay the price. You talked about Greece. And when the Conservatives came to office in 2010, uh, the deficit was at a post-war record. I mean, Re Rebecca's right, Labour didn't cause the banking crisis, but nor did they put any money away for a rainy day. And they left, they left the note themselves, they said there's no money left. So basically, the Labour government were borrowing a pound for every four pound that was being spent. I mean, think about that. Families up and down the country know that if they do that, it's not sustainable. We're now borrowing a pound for every 23 that we spend. And if you look at the promises that have been made in this election, there is a big, big difference. When I first started in politics, people sort of said, oh, politicians are all the same. But you can't say that now. There is a really big difference between what we are doing as Conservatives in terms of rebuilding our economy and setting out our fiscal rules to say that after this difficult period, we want to be sensible. We are going to borrow, but only for capital investment, so we can invest up and down the country and rebuild our economy and put in good infrastructure all over the country, including our region of the Midlands, which is a fantastic region, needs to be supported. But we've got the Labour Party who are not, they are, they are not properly costing their manifesto. We know I've got the document that here it's a <laughs> 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 I'm sure Rachel 
to you can look at it afterwards if she misses. Thank you, thank you. If I can, if I can just, just thank you, Rachel, yes. five seconds that I couldn't speak. That, that's fine. You've got that there. But every day we hear billions more spending pledges coming out every single day. Uh, you know, we've had 100 billion coming out in the last sort of couple of days alone. And I think the general public are just asking, where is that coming from? So... There's, there's been a lot of research done into the costings of the various um, various manifestos and promises. I'm going to ask for a one-minute response from each of you. I'm actually going to ask a slightly different question to each of you because your manifestos are all very different. Um, Claire, the question to you is going to be that your manifesto talks about a phased carbon tax um, and also talks about great spending on this new Green Deal. The criticism from... Um, the financial um, investigators is that the phased carbon tax doesn't keep pace with some of the planned spending. So what would be the first thing that would maybe get dropped in the first few years, do you think? When you say get, the first thing get dropped? Well, if there's, if there's only £100 in the kitty and you're trying to spend 120 what will be the £20 that doesn't get spent? What will it be on? Um... Do you want another question? Crikey. I mean, everything is interlinked, isn't it? Um, I mean, is the hope that this phased carbon tax will raise money quicker than perhaps? I mean, you're, you're raising money to then reinvest to create a new industry. So... You know, where with lots of fossil fuels being used initially, there will be more carbon tax than there would be, you know, before we 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 you got the skills to create new industry. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it, it it's a sliding scale. Surely, as you know, the tax has an effect and changes people's behaviour. Um, okay. You know that you've got that you've get then got the shift in the economy, um, and of course, we, we okay, is that enough? <laughs> we're, we're also um, going to be, you know, GDP at the end of the day isn't be all and end all. Um, okay. You know, we've got to be looking at what constitutes a good economy, um, and that much. is um, how, how people feel, you know, okay. their, their Thank you. Um, it doesn't get easy, I'm afraid, for any of the rest of you, because as Bruce hinted, the IFS has called both the Conservative and Labour planting spends not credible, um, and they were some of the nicer words used. Um, so the question to Rebecca is, when the independent estimates are that Labour's plans won't actually raise as much tax as they say they will, what is going to be the response to that? Well, if 160 top world economists think our manifesto is great and can see where we've costed it, then I don't see how the IFS can say that about our manifesto. <laughs> um, the thing is, when you think about billions and billions of pounds not being paid into our treasury because of the corporations, because of the super rich, that's where the money is. That's where the, uh, that's where the money tree is at the end of the day. So we will 
6% over a five-year period, so incrementally. That's still some of the lowest in Europe, so I can't see businesses upping and going. Obviously, we'll be uh, clamping down on tax avoidance and tax evasion. People earning over £80,000 a year will pay a tiny bit more tax. So on eighty grand a year, we're talking about, is it £10 a month? That's a huge amount, isn't it? But I'm sorry, but the, the money is there, and we can fund these policies, and I'm happy to talk to people at the end about it. Just for clarifications, the IFS down the ability to raise the pension contributions because people will increase their sorry to re, in, people increase their pension contributions to avoid the paying the high rate of tax because obviously that's tax exempt. So that's what the IFS are saying. If you're wondering why they disagree with those other economists. Okay. That's... Um, Rachel, with regards to the conservative spending. Um, the criticism from the IFS really is that they aren't, don't seem to be spending as much um, and there's no plans on tax changes at all from the manifesto. Uh, so I'm not sure the specific thing you're talking about, but there are plans for tax changes in terms of reducing taxes on small business around business rates particularly, which would be very welcome for our high street in Redditch. I think most people would welcome that. Is that what you're referring to? Um, it's the, the, other, the other parties are all talking about raising tax to fund some flagship policies and the Conservatives are not getting into that discussion? No, because we want to keep taxes low. And I think what uh, the Labour Party actually will do, and in fact, John McDonnell did say this, that people paying over 20 grand are going to have to pay more tax Rubbish. under Labour. It was, it, well, it, it, it was John McDonnell who said it, so I don't know. Anyway, I'm just going on what he said. So we want to keep tax low because we believe, we Conservatives believe, that people should keep more of what they earn. That's a fundamental belief. So we are not going to raise taxes for income tax, national insurance, or VAT. We've made that a promise. What we will do is borrow a little bit more because interest rates are low, but it will be for capital investment, not day-to-day -day spending. And that is a sensible fiscal rule. OK, thank you. And, Bruce, there's a plan to increase 1p on, on some tax, isn't there, from the Liberal Democrats, which some have argued isn't perhaps the fairest way of doing it. Um, so the Lib Liberal Democrats have proposed that we add 1p uh, in every pound to income tax and the Institute of Fiscal Studies actually said that's progressive, uh, secure uh, and clear. So um, I think it's, you know, people understand that the NHS demand is rising for, for health services, both physical and mental health. Um, and we should all be uh, able to pay a little bit more in our society to facilitate that. Um, most, because it's linked to um, income tax, about 40% of the population who uh, are below the income tax threshold, uh, the working population, wouldn't pay anything. Um, so it's only those who can afford to pay uh, would, would, would pay that extra amount. Um, and that's, that kind of hypothecation, I think, is quite clear to people and it's quite helpful. So that would generate £7 billion per year uh, to invest directly in the NHS. Thank you, Bruce. We're going to move on from the economy now. Um, we're going to have a short comfort break in a few moments, but we are just going to have one more question here. Um, 
in this, in this section, and that's that in three of the manifestos released for this election, there were statements of intent to radically change the laws on abortion, with Labour, the Liberal Democrats and Green parties favouring decriminalisation of abortion. Labour proposed to remove all restrictions, potentially allowing for abortion for any reason right up until birth. This will most likely be a decision put before the House of Commons and the next government. So the question for this panel is how will you, what are your views on this? How will you vote in support of the rights of mothers and of their unborn children if you are a representative? And I'm going to go to Bruce first. Um, clearly, very emotive issue. I don't have all the answers about abortion. I think broadly, this is my personal opinion. Uh, I can't remember what's in the manifesto and I haven't read it, so this is my personal opinion. I think we're about in the right place at the moment. I think that we need to find a balance between the rights of the mother and the rights of the unborn child. Um, I think circumstances differ and it's very difficult and dangerous for politicians um, and people like us to make judgments on every uh, particular circumstance. So I think broadly we're in the right place at the moment um, and I think we need to look carefully at potential changes to the law in, in future. Thank you. Claire, how would you represent us in this issue? Um, yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, the, the rights of a woman um, are very important, um, but I also... Um, yeah, the rights of the unborn baby. And also, you know, I think protecting um, babies that... Are, have health problems from um, being aborted. Um, yeah, the rights of the disabled child um, are very important as well. Um, I don't know what the answers are. I think it has to be a balancing act um, to have the option, you know, circumstances change and to have that option of a late abortion, I think, in some circumstances, is the right thing. Um, but also, you know, I do think that, you know, there, there needs to be the support system. This is just my personal view, um, to support people to come to the right decision for themselves. Thank you. <laughs> Rebecca, obviously, as the Labour candidate, um, the Labour manifesto is the one that has raised the biggest headlines on this. So how would you vote if this comes up in the next government? Right, well, I'll be totally honest, that was news to me about that. But me personally, me personally, I mean, I teach RE, so obviously this is a topic in philosophy and ethics that I teach all the time. And I have to be very sensitive because we have a you know, multi-faith, multi, you know, diverse community that I teach and people have different views. But me personally, I am pro-choice, but I, I believe that the... Um, the cut-off point, for me personally, is a bit too far, and I'd like to see that reduced a little bit. But that's just my personal view. Um, obviously, every circumstance is different, 
and every premature baby that's born is completely different. And I don't feel comfortable um, making, well, trying to make a decision for individuals. I believe that the medical professionals know what they're doing. And I think with adequate counselling and support that the mothers um, that, this, that are affected by this will be able to reach um, the decision that's right for them and their families. Obviously, there are social and economic uh, issues surrounding this. There's obviously issues with sex education in schools and young girls getting pregnant. Um, there's also the issue of um, the quality of life of the baby should the baby be born full term. Um, so it's just too complex an issue, too emotive, and I understand that everybody in this room has got you know, very different views about it. I wouldn't wish to offend anybody at all. Um, so uh, for me, personally, I'm still pro-choice. Okay. Thank you very much. And Rachel, the Conservative manifesto is the one that doesn't actually make any mention of this, so where would you come down on this? Yes, thank you. I think, as the other candidates have said, it's such a sensitive issue, and I'm, no woman would ever have an abortion lightly. Um, so it's not in a manifesto. As far There are no plans to change the law, and that is because we have a, a consensus. I think Bruce is right. We broadly agree in this country that it's just about in the right place. If it even, ever did come before Parliament, it would be a conscience issue, and there would be no party whipping. I don't think any party would whip their MPs on an issue like this because it does involve so many sensitivities. There has been one vote on abortion since I've been a Member of Parliament, and that was on um, equalising the rights of women in Northern Ireland for access to abortions to make them the same as they were in England. And I did vote in favour of that after weighing it all up. It was not, an, you know, it's not a straightforward decision. There's pros and cons on it. But ultimately, I felt it was about the right of women in Northern Ireland to have the same rights as those women in, in England. We are part of a union with Northern Ireland, and that should mean something to those women. And I, you know, I strongly believe in equality, and I, and I felt that was the right thing to do. And I think it's interesting that an issue like this, it will always, it, it will always come down to that conscience issue, and you know, it always does require an awful lot of thought. Thank you. Um, because it is such an emotive issue, because it is such an issue of conscience, I suppose that's why the question's been asked of you guys who will be representing us. Before we broke, we were briefly discussing abortion, and there was some confusion about which manifesto it was in. Um, if you'd like to look into that more, I can confirm it's in the Labour manifesto on page 48 and the Liberal Democrat on page 61. And it is in the Green Party manifesto, but I couldn't find the page numbers. So if you do a Google search, you'll find it. Um, we're going to move on now and we're going to try and move away a little bit from the national issues and look at some things a bit closer to home. Um, I'm going to ask Andrea Berry. Um, she gave a question regarding the NHS and hospitals. Is Andrea here? Hello. Have you got your question there? Also, 
Thank you very much. So, how will you improve healthcare services? Rachel, can we go to you first on this, please? Hi, yes. Obviously, um, outside of Brexit, this is probably the, the number one thing that people do raise with me. And it has been a constant theme ever since I've been in Parliament. So, the NHS is absolutely vitally important. It's a fantastic service, and I'm proud to have stood up for it in Parliament. So, my number one priority in Parliament since I've been elected has been the Alex Hospital. And on the first day, I set foot in Parliament, I had a meeting with the Health Secretary and I raised it with them. And a result of the work that I've done, we have seen more investment agreed that will flow into our Alex Hospital to enable us to carry out the improvements that were promised. Now, there are issues with the Alex. We, we all know the issues across the Trust and they are deeply concerning. Uh, they're, they're really concerning to me because I believe we should have a first-class health service, not just in Redditch and in Worcestershire, but across the country. Um, we all know that the history of why the services were removed. I don't agree with that decision, and I'm campaigning to have those services brought back. Now, now the Trust at the moment are not, not, not agreeing to that. Obviously, if I could bring those services back single-handedly, I would love to be able to do that. The Trust, I believe, made the wrong decision. It's down to me to now work with them and lobby them to try and look again. And I'm not saying, you know, we have to necessarily bring back exactly what we had before, but it's clear to me that for people in Redditch, going all the way to Worcester is just not acceptable, particularly with all the traffic and the delays that you can encounter on the motorway. And when they get there, the services in Worcester are not where they should be either. The hospital's been constantly um, suffering from uh, problems and pressures in that hospital trust. It does need to be addressed. That trust is not doing a good enough job. And if I'm re-elected, I will continue to fight for that and make sure that that receives the priority that it deserves. Thank you, Rachel. Claire, how would you seek to improve um, the healthcare provision across the county and more specifically with regards to the addicts? Well, we would certainly be looking at increasing funding um, to the tune of si at least £6 billion a year until 2030. Um, and re-establishing uh, nursing bursaries to help with the staffing problems. Um, we'd be looking at having mental health on an equal footing because mental health services are woefully inadequate, certainly not meeting the needs of um, the adult and the child population. Um, you know, the waits for CAMS are horrendous, you know, with children having to be at the point of suicide before they're seen sometimes. Um, we would be looking at re-establishing um, community-led health services so that the community is letting known what its needs are and you know, looking at creating um, a health service that meets the needs of the local people. And as far as the Alex goes, I mean, I've got first-hand experience of how vital paediatrics was. Um, and having it local, just, it, you know, it makes a massive difference. It made a massive difference to my son's recovery, having his uh, friends being able to visit him, you know, having, being able to have me there um, all the time. Um, and I could have the children dropped off. You know, when, you, when you've got a child that's in hospital for weeks on end, you know, you need a local service. Um, I've been fighting for the Alex since 2015, you know, um, I've been, I've raised the questions as to why is stroke care 
kind of so far away when you've got that golden hour. And I've been told by doctors, oh, no, no, it's all specialists, you know. But we're now seeing they're raising it as a problem. We've got, you know, maternity that's miles away. These services need to be local, and nobody can guarantee it, but I will certainly be fighting for it. Rebecca. Right, well, the Alexandra Hospital means a great deal to me. It's uh, saved my life on two occasions. Both my niece and nephew were born at that hospital, and my mum even worked at the Alex Hospital for five years as a ward clerk. Um, Redditch fought long and hard to get that hospital in the first place, and it's a tragedy to see the services go, to see maternity gone from a hospital that serves up to a quarter of a million people, if you include all the surrounding villages and up to Bromsgrove, Stratford, etc. Public transport is inadequate. People can't get to Worcester Hospital, particularly after a certain time of night, and it's expensive, and it's unreliable. It's not acceptable. And what the local Conservatives have said is that there's 29 million capital funding arising out of the reorganisation that took maternity and paediatrics away. The funding was promised years ago, but we've seen none of it. And what they failed to mention as well is that that's capital funding and not revenue day-to-day -day funding. Well, I'm sorry, just like schools, we need day-to-day -day funding, we need nurses, we need doctors, and we, we need staff, so we need that money. Now, the hospitals are in debt of £194 million, projected deficit of £82.8 million, and there's projected cuts of a further £22.5 million. Now, what Labour will do is increase revenue by 4.3%, an additional £5.5 billion. We will increase capital funding to repair our hospitals, to make them a safe place to work in and be treated in, reinstate the nurses' bursaries that the Conservatives took away, and scrap tuition fees scrap tuition fees so we can actually train British people to be doctors and nurses and lawyers and engineers and architects, and end privatisation that, goes, uh, sorry, that gives profits to shareholders at the expense of patient care. We will end PFI contracts. We will reverse the privatisation. And, and two more things. We will fund an integrated care service, including mental health support, care for the elderly, and fund training and retention. And it's only with a fully funded service and adequate staffing and buildings, along with reorganisation, that we can bring services back to the Alexandra Hospital. And I will do that for you if you elect me next week. Thank you, Rebecca. Bruce, how will you support um, and improve the healthcare services in the county and more so in Redditch? So I think it's clear that the NHS is not working at the moment, um, and that includes uh, the Alex. Uh, it's clearly important to everyone that lives and works in Redditch. Um, I think we have uh, some shocking statistics recently about record uh, waiting times in A&E. We've got a, a huge number of vac unfilled vacancies at the moment. We've got over 8,000 vacancies for nurses in, in the Midlands region alone. And that's over 10% of the entire workforce. Um, so we need to do something about recruitment. Uh, like Labour and the Greens, we've put forward quite a, a very significant uh, investment uh, strategy for the NHS. Uh, so around £7 billion per year. 
Um, and 11 billion over five years for mental health alone. I think we need to put mental health on the same footing as physical health. Um, and that requires, it's quite easy to say, but it requires some, some um, quite simple steps that are quite easy. Again, we've got on mental health, you know, people traveling vast distances at times when they're at the most vulnerable and distressed to get the services that they need. So we need to increase the number of psychiatrists and mental health nurses. Uh, improve the range of specialist support and therapy around around mental health and add free prescriptions for uh, chronic conditions around mental health too. So I think one thing's clear from everything you've heard tonight, people don't trust the Tories with the NHS. <laughs> the NHS. When we see ambulances and corridors being used as wards, I think that show, tells you a lot about the state of the NHS at the moment. So we need to do something about that, and we need to do it now. Thank you, Bruce. Um, I know there's been a lot um, of questions about what guarantees can be given, so I'd encourage you, if you want to speak to any of the candidates about guarantees, on what services they can bring back to the Alex in particular, then to speak to them um, at another time. We're going to move on to the environment and climate change. Um, and there's some, obviously there's some experts on our panel um, with regards to this. I'm particularly looking to my right, so I need to be careful what I say. Um, some scientists say that the 2050 targets for zero carbon emissions are a bit too little, a bit too late. And with that, I've got a question from Tabby on climate change. Is Tabby here? What, the question is, what climate change policies are planned for your manifesto? Um, I'm going to go to Rebecca first, please. Okay, well, the Labour Party um, ha has got a Green New Deal, and this Green New Deal, where it was 250 billion investment in wind, sea, energy, for example, we will ban fracking, we will be carbon neutral by 2030, and over a million green jobs. And obviously that's going to require a lot of skills and skills for the future. And that's where our young people in this country come into it. We're the ones that have destroyed the planet. Well, hopefully they can save it for us. Um, so that's really, really important. Um, so I've mentioned about carbon neutral. I've mentioned about banning fracking, about wind and sea, carbon neutral. And insulation um, in homes and regional green deals as well. So regions will have... Um, autonomy over some of that too and retraining will help um, there's, there's lots so Green Deal, it's in the manifesto it's pages and pages long because it's very, it's very comprehensive so um, I can talk to people at the end again about that I believe that the commitment in the Labour manifesto is to substantially cut emissions by 2030 with net zero by 2040, or the end of the 2030s, it says, I believe. Do you want to double check and then you, if you want to come back? But um, we're going to go to Bruce next on this, please. 
So I work on climate change. That's my job. I work specifically on the economics of climate change. Um, and one thing's clear to me that I've been doing this job for about the last 15 or 20 years now. Climate change does not cost money. Addressing climate change does not cost money. Not addressing climate change costs money and will cost us a huge amount, not just us, but future generations as well. So it makes absolutely no sense, even from an economic point of view, to not take action that we need to take now. Um, I'm astonished by the Conservatives' record on the environment. They've closed the climate change department, repeatedly been taken to court for uh, missing air quality targets. They're missing all their carbon budgets for the, uh, up to 2050. Uh, they banned effectively onshore wind. They cut subsidies for solar and offshore wind, supported Heathrow ex expansion. I could go on. Now, we, like other parties, have put forward a huge number of measures in our manifesto to address climate change. I won't go through all of them, but I'll just cut to pick two or three. Public transport, I think the amount we spend on our public transport at the moment is inadequate and frankly embarrassing. Uh, I think we need to get to at least 10% of uh, uh, transport spending on walking and cycling and improve the uh, possibilities for people to walk and cycle. I think that not only helps tackle climate change, but also helps with health and a whole range of other, other issues too. Because one thing is clear to me is that um, we have to look at things in the round, right? Addressing transport will help air quality, pollution, carbon emissions, health, and a range of other things too. I think we need to put climate change back at the heart of government, and that's why we proposed uh, a dedicated department for climate change and make every single government department accountable for the contribution that they make uh, to, to our carbon targets. Uh, and the last thing is taxing frequent flyers. Let's reduce emissions from, 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 from planes. Thank you very much, Bruce. Rachel, there was some critique of the Conservative government on their record for climate change um, and environmentalism. So maybe if you would like to run through what the Conservative policies planned for this are and perhaps respond to some of the criticism if you feel able. Thank you. Well, I think, uh, thank you. It's a little bit unfair, I think, that some of the criticism, I probably can't respond to all of it, but I will talk about what we're doing. I mean, Conservatives care passionately about our environment. The clue is in the name. It's conserving for the next generation. We believe that is the right and moral and compassionate thing to do, to hand on not only our economy, but our environment in a better state. And that's why we have legislated for net zero by 2050. We are the only major economy to have done that. And in fact, we are the world, even in the last couple of years since I've been in Parliament, the number of pieces of legislation that we have passed um, is absolutely astonishing, and we will continue doing that. So, for example, we are phasing out coal by 2025, and we are decarbonising faster than any other G20 country. Uh, last year was a record for us for generating power from renewables. We generated 33% of our power from renewables. And on onshore wind, no, we are, we are actually, the cost is coming down, and we are generating more terawatt hours from onshore wind. I think it's 30.5 compared to 7.5 when we took office in 2010. Uh, we are actually leading the world, and that's why we're proud that we're 
hosting COP26 next year in the UK. But it, it goes across the whole board. So we have to tackle this by doing what we do best as a nation, which is backing our innovators and our entrepreneurs. And so we already have a clean growth deal in place, which has created 400,000 green jobs. And we are spending £92 billion on this to support those jobs since, since 2010. Um, I mean, it goes across the whole, the whole um, planet, so we're preserving our oceans. We've now got more oceans under conservation than we've ever had before. And I think this is, this is a, at the heart of what we're trying to do as Conservatives, but we can't focus on this until we actually deliver Brexit and get Brexit done so that we can... I mean, I, I don't know why people are... Are laughing because actually this is what voters say to me thousands and thousands of times. We need to do that so that we can move on and focus on these priorities which do cost money and that's money Thank that we're we'll putting in. And now this might be a challenge for Claire to pick any policies um, that deal with climate change because I'm reading your manifesto it's pretty much all regarding climate change. Um, but would you like to maybe detail some of your flagship ideas that you would hope to implement? Okay, so, yeah, two minutes. Our manifesto is completely about climate change, but it addresses so many more issues along the way. Um, at the moment, the pledges given by governments um, around the world will result in a 2.9 uh, degree rise in world temperatures. Um, and the actions that are being taken would re result in a 3.2 degree rise. So nowhere near enough is being done. What we have got is all-encompassing, and we, will be, we are leading the way in tackling climate change. We would have a carbon tax. We would have a carbon chancellor. The carbon tax would then help to, um, to fund the Green um, New Deal. Transport, we would cancel HS2. We would put the money that we would save from HS2 um, into restoring um, local um, rail networks so that people can get from A to B using the train more easily. I mean, in Redditch, we can only go to Birmingham. We need to be able to get to other places. Um, we would be investing 2.5 billion in um, restoring walking and cycling routes so that people have viable options. There's no point asking people to ditch their cars if they don't have a viable option. Um, yes, there's a case for electric vehicles, but we need to be moving away from, um, we need to be pooling our resources and working as a community and looking at public transport. Housing, we would be investing 100 billion uh, no, we would be um, building 100... Oh, 100,000, thank you. Um, social housing every year, and it would be built to passive house standards, which would mean they'd have fuel efficiency. Um, we, oh, yeah, I've run out of time. There is so much. Please go and read the Green Party Manifesto, because it is... Thank you. It addresses it all. <laughs> thank you very much, Claire. Um, we are going to move on to, um, I suppose it will come under justice issues. Um, Ellen McMahon? Is Ellen around? Thank you. You have a question um, about the need for food banks and poverty. 
if you would be willing to read that, thank you. Okay, firstly, I'd like to the panel to join me in praising the hard work of all the volunteers and organisations connected with food banks here in Redditch and across the UK. Thank you, Eileen. Uh, I know it's a very emotional issue, so thank you for reading out and for posing such an important question for us. Um, Bruce, can we go to you? What specific actions would your party take to remove the need for food banks, poverty and deprivation? There's not going to be one simple answer to this. I think, you know, clearly the cause is quite well known. We've had years of austerity. We've had... <laughs> policies deliberately undermining, I think, uh, real wages that have fallen year on year uh, and are lower now than they were in 2010. Um, we've got uh, the number of, you know, homeless people, 135,000 children are going to be homeless this Christmas time. And that is 183 more every day are becoming homeless. I, you know, in the society in which we live, as, as you've rightly pointed out, this is scandalous, right? We, this cannot go on. And um, what have we proposed to do about it? I think I will come back to Brexit because the amount of money that we will lose out on as a result of leaving the EU, in term, just in terms of growth and jobs uh, and incomes for people, um, you know, people do want job security and they don't have that at the moment. Um, so I think in-work poverty is, is one of the things that you've ra rightly raised and, and it's one of the things we need to address. Um, I think specifically on, on food banks, um, in our manifesto we've, we've pledged to uh, make a minimum amount, uh, a sufficient amount of food to eat a legal right for people. So as people have a legal right to clean air and to basic services, they would also have a legal right to sufficient amounts of food. Um, and that would um, enable uh, uh, or, or in, ensure that local authorities and other key agencies 
make sure that people in their, in, that they are responsible for and in their areas uh, provide sufficient um, uh, uh, social and public services so that people in this country don't go hungry in the future. Thank you, Bruce. Rachel, how will your party, what specific actions will you be involved in taking to remove the need for food banks, poverty and deprivation? Well, obviously, we, we never want to see people going to food banks. And so what we want to see is a high wage and a high skill economy. And we are starting to make progress in that already. But we clearly need to go further. So what we know is absolute poverty is down. Um, and we, have, we, are, we are spending £95 billion on working age benefits, but we know that the best way out of poverty is where people are working. And so what we've done in the, in the last few years is we've been creating an economy where jobs can flourish, where well-paid jobs can flourish. And we now, now are at a point where people are working and they are, are earning more than wages. Than, than, um, so wages are rising faster than costs now, which is very welcome after the recession that we saw in this country, which was obviously caused by the reckless actions of the last Labour government. Uh, Rebecca, there were food banks before, before the, there were food banks when the Labour government was in office, but what happened was that claimants what were not... You guys came Thank you. Maybe I can just Rachel, would what you like to answer? What happened were that the, the job centres didn't signpost claimants to the food banks. The food banks existed, and food banks exist in every other major economy across the world. So, and obviously, we, I pay tribute to volunteers. We, I've been a Christian all my life, and I've been involved in charity all my life. And I've always been involved in helping people. And that is what we are as a nation. We want to reach out to our fellow citizens. It's what we do out of love for our fellow person. And we want, as a government, to create the conditions and enable people to move out of poverty. What we know in Redditch, when we look at the statistics, is that most people only need to go to a food bank once because they have got a catastrophic situation. I don't want anyone to go to a food bank, but we'd rather they had that there at a, at a difficult time of their lives than we shut the door on them. That is a Christian act of Thank charity. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Um, there's, there's a few things that I do just want to deal with there, just to make sure that we have the right figures being given. Um, in 2010 to 11, there were 61,500 um, food bank uh, parcels being given out across the UK. This last 12 months, um, that 61,500, um, nine years on, is 1.5 million. Um, I think it's important to note, to note that growth, and also um, just that you mentioned the, the average wage has grown. Um, what the um, IFS has pointed out, that the real weekly living wage is actually the same as it was in 2007. Um, so it has gone up, but it's not necessarily kept pace with other things. How would you respond to those? So I, I don't recognise that last statistic that you just mentioned, because actually what we have... So, look, you know, we can all trade statistics, and I'm happy to look yeah. at it later. So the, the figures that I've got, which are independently validated, are that wages are starting to now rise, real wages are rising, and actually Labour did leave a, a horrific legacy... Oh. 
unemployment in our country. Our, our unemployment is now at the lowest level on record. We have been creating jobs at a record rate. And that is the way that people move out of poverty and into work and can support their families. And that Thank is very you. important. Thank you. Um, I don't believe we've heard from Claire on this issue of poverty and food bank usage. Okay, so um, we would be looking at um, increasing the living wage to £12 an hour for everybody uh, from the age of 16 upwards, um, which would go quite a way um, to helping tackle poverty. Um, again, and there's, I'll go back to the universal basic income as well, which is available to everybody, which would be £89 a week or £178 for pensioners, which is more than they would be getting on a state pension as it is now. Um, and then there would be extra for people with disabilities and for people who are carers and for people on housing benefit. This would be rolled out, first of all, to, to the WASPy women, who, as, just as a token gesture, to, um, to let them, no, to let them, you know, an, an acknowledgement, um, rather, of the, um, the, the poor deal that they have been given. Um, we'd also um, be making sure that um, uh, zero-hour contracts, workers had their, you know, their rights recognised so that they would have um, you know, the rights of any other employee. Um, and as far as you know, working your way out of poverty, that's not necessarily, that's not able, you know, a, a possibility for everybody. People with disabilities, the assessments that people have gone through um, in the ESA, you know, we can't be using work as a be all and end all. You know, we have to have a support system there for people, and what we've got at the moment just obviously has not been working. Finally, Rebecca, on this issue of poverty and food banks. Well, this is something that uh, actually really upsets me, so if I get a bit emotional, I, I do apologise. But um, as a teacher over the last 14 years, I've watched the students that I teach become worse and worse and worse off. When I was at school, when I, when I left school, we were raising money and shoe boxes full of things for children abroad, children in third world countries. Now, and I'm doing it as we speak, I've got a box in my classroom for a local food bank, and I was told yesterday that within an hour of the last time they collected tins at my school, within one hour, every single tin had gone off the shelves at that food bank, and we had fed children from our own school. We are the sixth richest country in the world. Why on earth have we got more food banks than McDonald's restaurants in this country? <laughs> half a mile over a boundary line in Studley, that's because I've had a 16% real terms pay cut as a teacher. And I can't afford to live on my own. So I've had to move back in with my parents. I've got no shame. That is a fact. I'm a 36-year-old woman, and this is how professionals are living. What about nurses using food banks? It's disgusting. And I'm sorry, but the Conservatives, they understand the cost of everything, the value of nothing. And to them... And to them... 
is about the number of billionaires. That's wrong. It's about the absence of poverty. Thank you. <laughs> I realise, sorry, I've got, I've got 15 seconds left. I haven't actually said what we're going to do, so I'll very quickly say... So we will end Food Bank Britain, lift children and pensioners out of poverty, end fuel poverty as part of the new Green Deal, bring in a real living wage of £10, equal rights at work, we will end insecurity and exploitation, ending zero-hours contracts, there will be protection for small businesses to cover extra costs. The list you. goes on. Thank you. Um, I just fact-checked that McDonald's statistic, and amazingly, it is, it is true. It sounded, sounded far, too, uh, far too strange to be true, but unfortunately, it's not even close. I'm a history teacher. I don't yeah. do false statistics. No, I didn't mean that. I meant it just sounds... Um, I can't believe there are more food banks than McDonald's, but it's not even close. Um, thank you for bringing that to our attention. Um, we're going to do um, a couple of very quick responses. So we're going to have um, one minute responses if possible for this last main question on education. Um, in real terms, education budgets haven't been growing over the last five years and schools are struggling more than ever with limited resources. With, a, with the number of children in school in the UK rising and outpacing the financing, what will you be fighting for in this area? And we're going to go to Claire first, please. Well, first off, we'd be increasing funding by £4 billion a year. Um, and we'd also be looking at formal education starting at the age of six, like they do in Sweden, which has proven to be um, you know, a very successful way of working. Children are allowed to play for longer. They're learning through play. Um, you know, um, it, it's a good start to education. We'd be scrapping tests the SATs tests, we'd be scrapping Ofsted, and we'd be, we'd be trusting the teachers to, um, you know, to, to assess. There'd be local assessments on schools. Um, we'd be ending academies and bringing um, schools back under uh, uh, into um, local authorities. Um, because, you know, you can't be running a school and then paying the chief executives or whoever. Okay, massive. Um, it does go quick, but the time has almost gone this evening. Uh, Rebecca, on this issue of education, obviously as a teacher, it's something you probably know a lot about. Um, can you just repeat what Yeah, so the question is that um, with a, the number of children in school in the UK rising and outpacing financing, what will you be fighting for in this area? They're only outpacing financing because of the cuts, but there we go. But Redditch schools have been underfunded for years under the Tory government. The recent funding proposals show that the overall funding shortfall of 2.3 million by 2020, that leads to an average of £198 per pupil. 28 of 33 schools in Redditch are underfunded. Trinity High School is minus £722 per pupil. Batchley First School is minus £453 per pupil. And Churchill Middle School is minus £418 per pupil. Capital funding has been reduced, leaving our schools in a state of disrepair. I can tell you that there's a board on my wall that's falling off, the door handle's fallen off. It, it's in, our schools are, are in tatters and it's appalling. 
Labour will introduce a national education service. And that is built on the basis of the NHS, Thank free you. at the point of use. There's lo- obviously, there's loads. I'll talk to you about it later. It's not that education isn't important, I promise. <laughs> um, thank you. Rachel. Uh, yeah, so the first thing is we need to get Brexit done so that we can then move on to... It is important. We can then move on thank to... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's allow Rachel to respond. Uh, we, we will be putting more money into schools if we are returned with the majority government, and we can only thank do you. that... We can only do that with a strong economy. We can only do that with the Conservatives in government actually generating the money that the businesses are creating to fund our public services. We will be putting £14 billion into schools. Uh, Worcestershire schools have been underfunded compared to Birmingham schools. That's something I've personally been lobbying for. I visited almost all of the schools in Redditch. We will be funding the secondary schools up to 5k, £5,000 per pupil, and the primary schools up to 4000 and we will be putting more money into the SEND budget, £780 million. That's very important, as I know from speaking to teachers. We will be raising teachers' starting salaries to £30,000, and we're putting £400 million into 16- to 19-year-old education in those further education and sixth-form colleges, and we'll be doubling childcare. So I think Thank that's you. a good package for education. Thank you, Rachel. On those, on those figures you just quoted of £5,000 per secondary school people and £4,000 per primary school people, is that an increase or a decrease from what it is now? It's an increase. It's a real terms per pupil increase from what it is now. Because I believe that statistics over that it is £1,000 more than that now. Um, that was the latest statistic that I came up with. So what do you... What so the statistics I, that I, have, that I have is that in 2017-18, it was £6,000 for a secondary school and 5000 for a primary, and that the manifesto says that it's up to... In Birmingham it might be, but not um, in Worcestershire, these, definitely these not. These are the broad term statistics. I apologise if they're not correct. We, but we you're saying it's an increase. Later. It's definitely an increase. If you go around schools okay. in Redditch, they will say, this is roughly what, this is what we need. We need this real terms per pupil increase, but we need those pension costs and all the other costs funded, and that's what we'll do. It's in the manifesto. But okay. we have to have Brexit Thank done you. first to do it. Bruce, on this issue, would you like to comment on education, please? So I think the thing, stuff about a strong economy and getting Brexit done just doesn't ring true when you've been presiding over cuts to education services for the last few years. Um, I think we would, we've set out quite an ambitious programme for investing in schools and education, uh, starting with uh, reinstating the cuts that have been made over the last few years and using the Remain bonus to do that, uh, recruiting 20,000 more teachers. Uh, putting seven billion aside just for school improvements, so not to do with education, just to do with the buildings and infrastructure that is frankly inadequate in many cases. Um, abolish SATs, I think, is a big one. We need to start teaching to learn rather than teaching to test. And I think we're, you know, um, I think we have far too many tests at too young an age at the moment. Um, Extend the pupil premium for, to 16 to 19 year olds. So there are too many people in further education that don't have the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the funds to support them at that, that stage in their education. And I think the final thing is abolish Ofsted because it's not for, for, fit for purpose. Uh, and we need a new watchdog for schools. Thank you, Bruce. So our time has pretty much gone. We're going to hear some closing statements from the candidates.
Um, there was an interesting question asked, though, by Simon Preston. Um, it's Simon here. I, I thought this would be an interesting question for our candidates to try and answer in their closing statements. It don't worry, it's nothing too, it's nothing too nasty, don't worry. Thank you, Simon. If you are not successfully elected as our MP, what would we be missing out on in Redditch? <laughs> you see why well, I thought it was an interesting question. Um, so we are, we're just going to go along the panel for this one. Um, Rachel, we're going to start with you. Um, and for this, you will have your 90 seconds for your closing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you'll be missing out on an extremely hard-working, passionate and committed local MP who lives and works in this constituency, puts this constituency first, will get Brexit done and will focus on the Alex and the Thank other priorities you. that are needed. Thank you very much, Rachel. Do you have anything else you'd like to say in closing? Rachel. <laughs> yes, she's been listening. Uh, thank you very much for, for having us all here. It's been a useful and fun evening. I've enjoyed the questions. It's been a real honour and a privilege to, to serve you. Um, the hustings are, are always lively and, and fun to take part in, and I'm more than happy to talk to anybody, um, either afterwards or at any point during the campaign, and all my details are on my website, so please do feel free to get in touch with me. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thank you very much. <laughs> Rebecca, what would we miss out on if you were not our MP? Well, I think... I'm somebody that actually lived in the town of Redditch for 27 years. I grew up in a council house on Patch Lane. I worked at Oakenshaw McDonald's. I worked at the Seven Stars. I worked at the South Redditch Sports and Social Club. I taught in Redditch. I love our town. I love this area. And I've never really moved away. I've always come back. And what you would be missing is somebody that's got friends and family here that, apart from actually caring about the many anyway... Obviously, I'm going to work incredibly hard for the people that I really love. And Redditch has been let down. Redditch is not the town that I remember when I was growing up in the 90s. We were so much better than this, and we can be so much better than this. And like I say, my niece and nephew were born at the hospital. I want to see our services reinstated. I've lived and worked all over the town. I've always been here. I've not just been parachuted in. OK? So I will work very, very hard for you. I've worked... As a frontline teacher, I've seen the austerity. My mum's an OT, occupational therapist. My aunt's a physio. I know what's going on. I know what's going on with our services. And it's wrong. And why are we seeing lots of billionaires while the poor have to pay the brunt for them? It's not on. It's not on. <laughs> And I'll work really hard if you do elect me next week. Thank you. Bruce, what would, we, what would we be missing out from losing you as our representative? I will come to that. So, this is the most important election that many of us will ever witness, I think. Um, the future of our country is at stake, I think. Um, and it's no less than that. Uh, you don't need to choose between Boris Johnson and his supporters, Nigel Farage, Donald Trump, Tommy Robinson, and all the rest, um, and Jeremy Corbyn, who still don't, won't tell you how you would vote in, in people's, how you would campaign in people's vote. Um, elections are about the type of country that you want to live in. Um, 
Getting Brexit done is a fantasy. We will have years and years and years of more uncertainty, uh, more negotiations, and time and resources wasted. We need to concentrate and get on with what's really important to the people of Redditch and the rest of the UK. Um, so you would be missing out on a £50 billion remain bonus that we could invest in uh, local services. You would be missing out on uh, nurturing the bonds in the family of, in, uh, the, the nation, uh, family of nations around the world so that we can tackle things like the climate crisis. Uh, you will be missing out on a brighter future for Redditch in the UK. So do vote Liberal Democrat. Thank you very much, Bruce. And finally, Claire, the same question to you. What would we be missing out on if you aren't our representative? Okay. Well, I think the state of the UK at the moment has shown that business as usual has completely failed. Um, we are facing unprecedented times and the Greens are leading the way in every single aspect of that, from democratic reform so that everybody's voices um, have equal weight through proportional representation to tackling the climate emergency and along the way tackling all the social issues that we're facing as a country. Um, and we would also be offering a true final say on Brexit. Um, so, you know, I think that is such a, you know, we have such an inspirational um, manifesto and I would be so, so excited to be able to um, represent Redditch in taking that forward. Um, but, you know, I've also got a proven track record. I've been working as a volunteer in so many different areas, whether it's been supporting the school system when it was under threat from you know, the three-tier system versus two-tier system. I've been helping to support with Save the Alex. I've been working in voluntary work. I've been supporting um, disabled people in the, in the community. You know, I've been working hard for Reddit with no banner, um, you know, under no banner. That's what I've been doing because it's the right thing to do. And I would carry on doing that for Reddit. Thank you very much. Thank you to all of our candidates for giving us your time and your views. Um, thank you for your patience. Um, thank you to all of you guys for conducting yourselves in a reasonably orderly manner. Um, I ask you to continue to be orderly as you vacate the premises tonight. Um, and I trust that you have a really good Christmas. Try to remember that one of these four candidates will be our representative in Westminster. And if you can remember, if you can remember what their favourite treat is, I'm sure they would love to see you after the election with their favoured sweet thing or cheese. Thank you very much everyone. Go in peace. concludes the hustings and this podcast thank you to baptist minister pastor andrew diaper and the whole team at redditch baptist church for allowing us access to record this podcast thank you too to the candidates rachel mclean for the conservatives labors rebecca jenkins liberal democrat dr bruce horton and the green party's claire davies and thank you to you for listening for all your local news visit redditchstandard.co.uk until next week have a great week and remember to vote